Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. I have had so many conversations with Christians that tell me that they know nothing about politics. <laughs> they almost say it like it's a badge of honor. It's it's like they relish in the thought that as a Christian, they're just too spiritual for such a dirty area of life as government. They will complain all day about what is happening in our schools or to the gas prices or, or, or whatever. But when it comes to following why these things happen, well, they can't be bothered. <laughs> it doesn't even interest them, they'll say. Well, I came across this article entitled, Four Reasons Why Christians Should Care About Politics. And it's from the ERLC, or the uh, Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. And it was written by David Colson, uh, uh, MDiv, who serves as the director of Christian Ethics and Biblical Worldview at the Family Research Council. And he starts out by saying, during the course of a presidential campaign, it is common to hear evangelicals, especially young ones, gripe, quote, I'm just not that interested in politics, or politics just aren't my thing. <laughs> These dismissive remarks are often delivered with a veneer of piousness, uh, implying that political engagement is inherently defiled, um, occupying an, an arena unfit for those serious about the gospel. For those un, uh, inundated with television ads, uh, robocalls, campaign mail, and the overall negative tone of politics, this might be a tempting position to adopt. However, it is not a position Bible-believing, gospel-loving Christians can or should accept as congruent with Scripture. The message of the gospel is that by grace, through faith, sinners can be reconciled with God. Of course, Ephesians 2, 7, 8 is, is, is a really good Scripture for, for that. Uh, this message transforms individuals and enables them to lead godly lives mandated by Scripture, uh, such as Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Uh, Christians are, are charged to share the good news and, and disciple others in faith. The gospel is a, is a holistic message with implications for all areas of our life, in, in, including how Christians engage the, the political process. And here are four reasons Christians should care about politics. Number one, the Christian worldview speaks to all areas of life. A frequently raised objection against Christian engagement with politics is that everything besides explicit preaching and teaching of, of the Bible is a distraction um, from the, the, the mission of the church. However, this is a limited understanding of the kingdom of God and contrary to examples in Scripture. The Christian worldview provides a comprehensive understanding of, re of reality. It speaks to all areas of life, really, including political engagement. In fact, the Bible speaks about civil government and provides examples 
of faithful engagement. In, in the Old Testament, Joseph and Daniel served in civil government. Uh, they, they, they exerted influence, in fact, to further the, the, the flourishing of their nations. In, in the New Testament, Jesus engaged in holistic ministry, caring for the spiritual and physical needs of people. Feeding the hungry and, and healing diseases were an outworking and an, an extension of the reconciliatory message of the gospel. Paul also advocates this approach. Quote, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. That's Galatians 6.10. And, quote, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's Ephesians 2.10. Now, engaging in good works should include participating in the political process because of the legitimate and the significant role of government. The decisions made by government have a substantial impact on people. And the way we interact with them, it's all wrapped up here. A Christian worldview should include a political theology that recognizes every area of life and and, and then must be included in the good works that we see here of believers, especially politics, an an area with significant real-life implications for people. And I will say, I, I can remember years ago, a California City Council decided to, to do something loving for the homeless in, in their city. They searched for something. Now, they searched high and low for th- something that they could do that would help them from uh, having to, to live in, in broken down tents or wood pallets stacked together or something like that. And after uh, approving the budget and getting it signed by the mayor, it was agreed that they had come up with the best solution possible. This had not been done anywhere else, and it was sure to catch on in other cities. This was such a loving gesture on their part that they could not help but pat themselves on the back. What was the solution to the homeless problem, you ask? What was this great show of love? Well, they bought garbage cans for these homeless individuals to live in. Yes, that's what I said. They bought garbage cans for them to live in. They would no longer have to put up with the stench of a used one, one that was currently being even in use. They would they would have a pristine, new garbage dumpster of their own. Now, how is this a loving thing to do for these individuals? How is this helping them out of their situations. How is how is buying garbage cans for them the loving and compassionate thing to do? Well, of course it's not. What would be the loving thing for for them is to help them with their mental illness or their addiction problem or or both. Almost every homeless individual is dealing with with addiction or mental illness uh, of some sort. Um, many dealing, of course, with both of those two things. The Christian understands what love is about. We understand 
what the Bible says about the different types of love. And and buying garbage cans for the homeless people is not among those types. We also understand that God is the answer to our problems, not government. Those with a, a secular worldview see government as, well, the great hope for mankind. Without government control, people would just do what they wanted to do instead of what is best for everybody as a whole. If government forces you to do what they think is best, well, how can any solution be established if they don't do that? A a, a biblical worldview says that God is our hope, not government, not man. He is infinitely more intelligent than any one of us. So depending on him for solutions really is the only way. And, and we, we oftentimes, um, we, we, we just have to depend on him to fulfill these solutions, but we are not dependent on people in, in some sort of bureaucracy somewhere trying to come up with what is best for us. We depend on a living God that is infinitely more intelligent than anything, any one of us. So let's go to number two. Politics are unavoidable. As sojourners in exiles, of course, 1 Peter 2.11, it can be tempting for Christians to adopt a mindset that earthly governing systems are inconsequential to the task of furthering the gospel. But ask ask a pastor in an underground church or a missionary attempting to access a closed country if, if politics is inconsequential. Religious liberty, uh, passports, and visas are not unnecessary luxuries, but are often vital for pastors and missionaries seeking to preach and teach the gospel. Augustine's City of God offers guidance on this point. Believers are citizens of the City of God, but on this side of eternity, we also belong to the City of Man and therefore must be good citizens of both cities. There are biblical examples of how membership in the the earthly city can be leveraged for furthering the reach of the heavenly. Paul's appeal to his Roman citizenship in Acts 16, 37, and and Acts 22, 25, is a model of this. In in an American context, engaging these dual cities takes on an added significance because the words prefacing the Constitution, the the we, the people in the Constitution, in in the United States, ultimate national sovereignty is entrusted to the people. James Madison explained that the, the, the consent of the people is the pure original fountain of all legitimate authority. This reality makes politics unavoidable for American citizens who control their political future. Because politics have real-world implications for Christian evangelism and for missions and and preaching the gospel. Christians ought to engage the political process by leveraging their rightful authority 
advocating for laws and policies that that contribute to to human flourishing. I mean, I, I will say that we have a wonderful example of this with the COVID pandemic. I mean, that that's just our latest one, but that's a great example. How how was the virus handled by our government? First, they put us into lockdown. If we spread a virus to each other through close contact, how is putting us indoors with each other a good idea? <laughs> it just wasn't. Even our worship services were affected during this time. Many, many churches shut down for a lengthy period of time. Second, then we, we were told uh, uh, lie after lie after lie about the vaccine and the effectiveness of it and the effects um, uh, on, on the virus of natural immunity. Many businesses were shut down. Many people lost everything that they had when their jobs and their businesses closed. This also put a strain on our churches trying to, to help where they could. Many, many elderly people lived out their final days, never seeing their friends or family again. They were confined to their facilities or, or hospital rooms and, and, and were never allowed to have any kind of visitors. This was the response of a government that did not have a clue what to do and could only respond to their desire for power and control. It did not matter if you followed politics or not. Before this all began, it did not matter. You were affected by the politics. Our churches were affected by politics. Our families were affected by politics. We live in a representative republic. If A lot of people think, well, we live in a democracy. We don't. We live in a representative republic. And that means that we vote for those that will represent us in that government. We do not have a king or a queen or a dictator or a tyrant, any of those. We have a say in who has governmental authority over us. And we even have to the, the right to, to, to vote ourselves for ourselves. On, on, on many uh, issues, we have the right to vote on things that concern us. What this means, though, is that we have to play our part. This is an experiment that has no, no historical backing. <laughs> There's no history here with this type of thing. It was set up to see if this biblical form of government could survive and sustain God-given freedoms for its citizens. But what we have to do is fulfill our role. We have to vote and make our vote an educated one. We have to help those that would lead in a good and godly way. We need to support good leaders with godly ideas. This is our part to play. This is our responsibility that we have been given by God himself. We need to love our neighbor. That's number three. We need to love our neighbor. When when questioned by religious authorities on the law, Jesus explained that loving God with heart, soul, 
and mine was the greatest commandment. Matthew 22, 37 spells that out. He, he added that second in priority was, you should love your neighbor as yourself. Followers of Christ are called to love and serve their neighbors. Matthew 28 spells that out, 19 and 20, verses 19 and 20. When asked about the qualifications of a neighbor, <laughs> I mean, you know, they're trying to, to trying to get around this or trying to be more specific. Oh, well, if we're supposed to love and serve our neighbor, well, who is our neighbor? <laughs> Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. He told that in Luke 10, 25 through 37, indicating that irrespective of race, irrespective of background or social status or occupation, neighborly love is owed. In a very real sense, politics is one of the most important areas in which Christians demonstrate love of their neighbor. In fact, how can Christians claim to care about others and not engage the the arena that most profoundly shapes basic rights and freedoms? Caring for the hungry and the thirsty and the naked and the sick and the and and the lonely is is important to Jesus and and should be to his followers as well. And Jesus said, "As you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me." Matthew twenty five forty. Fulfilling the biblical mandate to love your neighbor and care for the least of these, should be a priority for every believer. Again, a holistic approach is essential. Loving neighbor includes volunteering at the at a homeless shelter, as well as influencing laws that encourage human flourishing. God, good government and, and laws are not negligible factors in, in the prosperity and, and freedom of a society. For example, the, the the majority of North Koreans, for instance, are are held in economic bondage by corrupt political forces, whereas in South Korea, citizens are given liberty and a, and a system that it encourages prosperity. <laughs> the the people of North Korea need more than food pantries and improved hospitals. They need political leadership and policies that recognize human rights. Advocating for these changes in totalitarian countries is crucial for loving our neighbors and and, and oppressed areas. Obedience to the golden rule includes seeking laws that protect unborn children, uh, strengthen marriages, and strengthen families, advocate for the vulnerable, and and provide opportunity for flourishing. Politics is, is a means of affecting great change and must be encouraged by Christians who love their neighbor. So I ask the question, what is love? What is the loving thing to do for people? Isn't the loving thing for people to to, to help them in life? For example, is, is good economic policy a loving thing? Is helping families and their dollar go farther helping that family? Or are the policies of worldly men like Joe Biden and his friends hurting the family economically? Which one is more loving? A, gasoline prices under $2 a gallon, or B, 
Gasoline prices like the one I paid just a few weeks ago down in Canada, or I'm sorry, California, that uh, I literally paid $7.40 a gallon. Which is more loving? A, unemployment at an all-time low, or B, getting fired from your job because you won't take the jab? Which is more loving? A strong police force? and military that can protect you and your and your life or b defund the police and da's that won't prosecute anyone other than those that disagree with them politically how about number 4 lastly government restrains evil and promotes good government derives its authority from god to to promote good and restrain evil this mandate is expressly stated in Romans 13, 1 through 7. And we'll get to that scripture here in a second. But elsewhere, Paul urges that prayers be made, quote, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. Paul understood the need for Christians and their participation in government. Government plays a role in the work of God's kingdom on earth. Good government encourages an environment conducive for people living peacefully, whereas bad government fosters unrest and instability. <laughs> we have seen that at work over the last few years. Because of sin, the legitimate institution of government has, at times, been used illegitimately throughout history. However, numerous examples persist of Christians reasserting their influence and redeeming governments to promote good and, and restrain evil. There, there is good out there. In, in How Christianity Changed the World, Alvin Schmidt documents Christian influence in government. Examples include Outline infanticide, uh, child abandonment, and uh, gladiatorial games in, in ancient Rome. Ending the practice of human sacrifice among European cultures was something else. Banning pedophilia and, and polygamy and, and, and prohibiting the burning of, of widows in India. William Wilberforce, a committed Christian, was the force behind the successful effort to abolish the slave trade in England. In, in the United States, two-thirds of abolitionists were Christian pastors. In, in the 1960s, Martin Luther King Jr., a Christian pastor, helped lead the civil rights movement against racial segregation and discrimination. Carl Henry rightfully stated that Christians should, quote, work through civil authority for the advancement of justice and human good to provide critical illumination, personal example, and, and, and vocational leadership. This has been the historic witness of Christians concerning, uh, concerned about, Christ, about government promoting good and restraining evil. Jeremiah 29.7 says this. It says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into ex exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. 
referring to Babylon. The, the prophet recognized the secular government served a legitimate purpose in God's plan for Israel. This is still true. Today, good governments promote literacy and, and advance just laws and, and provide religious liberty and allow churches to preach and teach. Good government can serve as a conduit for the furthering of the gospel and human flourishing. We've seen that just in our own uh, U.S. history alone. Christian witness in the public square contributes uh, transcendent values about moral and ethical issues. Christian withdrawal opens a moral vacuum. When Christians withdraw, it opens a moral vacuum. And, and, and it's susceptible to influences that, that pressure government to move outside the purview designated by God. Politics affects government, shapes society, and influences culture. Because of what the Bible teaches and the inevitability of its effects on our culture, Christians must care about politics. And, and let, me, let me say this. I told you we're going to go back and look at Romans 13. It says in Romans 13, 1 through 7, it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For she is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. So what the Bible is saying here is that God established a government. Why did he establish a government? Well, because God is not a God of chaos. There is an, an order to God's creation. All, also, though, Government was created for the protection of good and innocent people. Verses, verse 3 starts out by saying, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. This verse is not saying that we are to submit ourselves to every government, no matter how good or bad they are. It's, it says that leaders are not to be a terror towards the good. It also ends with verse 7, and where it says, Pay respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor is owed. How can you pay respect and honor to those governmental leaders that garner no respect and have no honor? This particular scripture is very much talking to two different 
sets uh, uh, mindsets. First, the Antifa mindset. The Antifa mindset is one uh, of the anarchist. Um, even as, as far back as high school, there were always those that kind of had this philosophy of chaos. These individuals were not really very idealistic, really. They, they, they did not hold uh, to right or left political leanings. I mean, maybe, maybe they leaned a little more toward the left because the right is more, you know, law and order. But just like, like we have seen with Antifa, they are, they are not opposed to attacking like even the National Democratic headquarters uh, on a number of times because they, they are in it for the anarchy. They, they will try to do whatever they want against anyone they want. We, we've seen that demonstrated with, uh, you know, the BLM signs in the windows of businesses that, that still got looted and burned anyway. These individuals love the chaos and strive for no government whatsoever, even until... You know, they, they get a little bit of power themselves, like the chop zone in in, in uh, Seattle and Portland. And then suddenly, you know, maybe structure is not such a bad thing, right? But secondly, the scripture is talking about those that have a zealot mindset. The zealots of Jesus' day were those that did not respect any form of government. Their idea was that God was their government. And they would not pay any taxes or or give any honor to those those uh, governments of their time, no matter whether they were good or bad. They they would oftentimes se- separate themselves from others so that they could just live their lives away from any kind of authority, but theirs. But verse two says this: it says therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. He's, he's talking about those with the zealot mindset here. Many of these zealot communities were destroyed by the Roman Empire. So God is saying that we are to understand that God set up the institution of government. We are to work within this institution the best we can. We are to support good leadership and oppose evil ones. We have this wonderful God-given opportunity like no other in the history of the world. And we have a say in our leaders. In fact, we can even run for office. We can ourselves. We can run for office and we can be one of those godly leaders that works within the institution of government to do good and protect our neighbor. The least that we can do is to be an informed voter and fulfill our God-given responsibility. Now, you may agree with me on this point. You may disagree. I, I would love to hear from you, even if you disagree with me. Let's start this conversation and you can always do that at Uncommon Sense Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.